Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. I'll never forget sitting in that office for the first time. The sound machine was roaring, and I was nervously assessing the new landscape of a place I was counting on to bring me help. I was anxious and nervous and very unsure about what was going to happen. Would this really fix me? Could this really change something about me? And we went over my intake information, and I remember thinking, how much longer till we get to the real stuff? And soon after that, we began. And just as we started, I remember asking this question to my very new and very gracious therapist. How long is this going to take? To which she said, what? <laughs> how long is this going to take, I said. And, and she said, is what going to take? And in all seriousness, I said, counseling. How long before I'm better, before I'm healed? I continued on, what's the timeline for something like this? I kept pressing this woman with very little response until she laughed and politely said, that is definitely not how this works. <laughs> At the time, I had no idea what she meant by that, truly. And it wasn't until the four-year mark that I finally began to understand the implications and foolishness of my question. Healing is a bizarre journey because it is just that, a journey. By definition, healing is a process. It is work. And more specifically, the work of becoming healthy and whole. And some might even say who you were always meant to be. When I started my healing journey about 12 years ago, I thought there would be some ending point, some holy moment that signaled my freedom, the completion of this healing task, the work of healing in me. But as it turns out, I found instead an invitation, an invitation that kept and keeps coming. No matter where you are on the spectrum of following Jesus, there is an undeniable truth that this world and the people in it, including us, are broken. That there are parts to us and in us that need to be healed. And the truth is, that thought isn't novel, at least nowadays. Healing is a hot topic. From Oprah to Brene to Dr. Phil to the latest whatever self-help podcast you digested this week on a run, healing, or the wholeness of self, is what it seems we were created to go after, to reach for. And while our reach looks different for each of us, particularly for those who don't know Jesus, rooted in each of us still is a desire to figure out what it means to live whole, to live into the fullness, unrestricted from the bonds of our brokenness and our humanity, to live as we were always meant to. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about our true and false selves. We've been given language around what it means to live out of the places we felt we needed to protect or hide. 
This we've learned is called the false self. And we've also talked about what it means to live in the truth or live according to the truth of who we are and who God has made us to be, unafraid and free from the lies of the enemy or from others. And this we said was the true self. And in each of these threads, we've been called to see that life in the kingdom actually does offer us what we most want. We've seen that our journey to wholeness, to our true selves, is an invitation to actually be filled with the fullness of God if we want it, if we are willing to work for it. Now work and the Christian journey has all kinds of implications attached to it. But today we're gonna to talk about how working towards our true selves, working for our healing is not only possible, but how it is actually a central gift to living life to the full. Today we're gonna to start with a passage of scripture we read and it's gonna give us a framework for and a pathway for where we start and basically how we do this. So let's jump in. In our text, we're picking up in the middle of a turning point, a letter written by Paul to the church of Philippi. And he had just finished up talking to them about how to live well with God and each other. And he says that it all starts and ends by becoming like Jesus, by doing and living life as he did. And in verse 12, Paul begins to wrap up this first part of his letter, and I'm going to read it again. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, in order for us to get the oomph of all that Paul is saying and getting at here, I'm going to break down a bit of the language because I think it's going to help us grasp what's being said. Paul starts out this letter and he says, my dear friends, another way to read that is to those worthy of love, which is how he names those followers of leaders, uh, followers of Jesus. He is making here a significant identity statement to them as he kind of turns this corner. So he says, to those of you who are worthy of love, as you have always obeyed, or, or maybe even better said, as you have always followed through and following the way of Jesus, not only when I'm with you, but when I'm not with you, and then here's the big line, continue to work out your salvation. Now, a lot of people can get really hung, hung up here because often what they read when they read this statement is work for your salvation. And that gets us into all kinds of problems that I don't have time to address, but Tyler would love to do that when he returns. The good news is, that is not what Paul said. Instead, it's actually quite the opposite. To work out your salvation more literally means to participate in it. To play an active part, to participate in living out and pulling down, if you will, the future reality of who you will be when everything is made right. In other words, we are to work from our salvation, not for it in order to become who it is that we were made to be, or to put another way to become and to live as our true selves. Paul is saying here that we are to partner with God for transformation, that our journey of becoming and living into our true self will start with working from our salvation and not for it. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 13 to say, it is God who works in us to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. 
Now, the Greek words works and act mean to pour forth power. And that's significant because it tells us that our participation in this work of wholeness or of healing is not a best effort reality. It's not a try your hardest or pull yourself along kind of thing. Instead, we see that as we participate with God to reach for our wholeness and healing, to be our true selves, to keep that front and center, we will also find God's power being poured out on us as we do so to accomplish God's will. His power is what's going to help us along in the healing journey to fulfill his good purpose, which by the way, is just all the reality of the kingdom of heaven coming to bear on your being. Paul is telling us that working out our salvation, the practice of it, is the work of every disciple. And it is marked by the ongoing work of participating with the Spirit in his power to live into our true selves. What we are seeing here is that salvation, the gift of knowing Jesus, is more than just a gift of receiving our identity from God once. It is about receiving our identity from him over and over and over again. Allowing every other false construct, every other thing that we've built to protect ourselves to be pulled away by the power of the Spirit so that we can live as we were meant to. Now these words from Paul sound awesome. Wonderful. Well done again, Paul. You're really knocking it out of the park. We're very proud of you. Uh, And honestly, they are encouraging in their own right, particularly some of these big themes we're pulling out. But if we lean in, like really lean into what Paul's saying here when he's talking about working out your salvation. I know some of us are triggered by the phrase working out. Same. (laughs) No, Paul, you know. I think if we actually lean into what he's saying, we'll find there's a bit of an internal rub or an external rub happening. That place within us that while our minds agree that this is a good idea, there's something in us that actually pushes against what this would mean for us, what this will actually cost us. You see, healing can pose a great problem for people because despite our conscious desire to change and to be changed, all of us at some point will have to confront the resistance, the rub that happens in us when we think about actually entering into the process. Resistance is a sneaky and often unnamed part of the journey to healing, though we all experience it. And it does look different for each of us. You know, for some, it will look like patterns of justifying and absorbing pain rather than uh, confronting and naming the dysfunction in a relationship. I prefer that method. For others, it looks like shame that hinders our ability to share our deepest desires with others. For many, it looks like small moments of saying no to the invitation to tell the whole truth to ourselves and to others and to God. And still for some, it looks and sounds like rationalization or judgment of others or blame shifting or minimization, just to name a few. Resistance is and can be the battleground for our healing. It's where we come face to face with the impact of our brokenness and the world's brokenness and decide either to retreat or to fight. Now, resistance takes place in two realms. It takes place in the internal and the external. In the internal, we find wonderful things like fear and denial and self-protection, lies from others and the enemy. I'm joking. Is everyone breathing in here? Okay, there it is. 
uh, lies from others and the enemy, old patterns of behavior, which we love, uh, narrative scripts we've adopted from our family and friends that may or may not be true. It's in this space that we actually find a resistance that is governed by our conscious and protective brain, but can also be governed by our subconscious, which makes this kind of resistance the most subtle and yet the most powerful. The internal resistance we experience can be hard to name or hard to want to change because it's been part of us, like the majority of our lives. And it can be harder to recognize because you usually live with that internal narrative and swirly muck of crap in, in and always for your whole life. These are things you hear regularly. These are things you process all the time. Now, this can look and feel and sound like a lot of different things, but some examples of what we find in the internal resistance space are things like fear of the pain of healing, fear that it won't work out, or fear of who you will be without the pain you've always known. Lies that say things like we're too far gone, or it's too gross of a sin, or that like our parents, no one else will take care of us, so why even try? It can look or sound like you're too much, so why would God want you near? It can sound like you're not enough for a spouse or for God or for others, so just stop trying. It can sound like you don't deserve this after all that you've done. It can feel like shutting down or shutting off certain parts of yourself because emotional intimacy and openness is now unsafe and you might get hurt. It can look like lashing out or becoming aggressive relationally because it's an all or nothing mentality and it has to be that way. And those are just a few examples to encourage you this morning. My point is this, in our internal worlds, we carry and hold things in us that are not from Jesus. We still have things within us, the brokenness and the reality of sin that will resist what is on offer in the kingdom of God to us. And some of those parts of us were born out of survival and other things were told to us and still other things are part of our bent or our disposition. But whatever is happening internally, our invitation, our pathway to healing, to becoming all that Jesus made us to be, to becoming and living into our true selves, starts with acknowledging those things. Starts with acknowledging that we do feel resistance and that there are real obstacles in our way to the more that is on offer. Now, this isn't the only kind of resistance we experience. It wouldn't be complete without the external, am I right? We also experience resistance externally, and this is something we don't talk about very often, but it's important. We experience resistance externally through things like our family or friends or time and even the enemy. Often when it comes to the work of healing, some of our greatest resistance to becoming our true selves comes from other people. Now, I don't want you to hear that as blame shifting or us placing that on someone else. It is honestly more trying to name our environments and how they impact us than anything. We all exist in relational systems and rhythms and structures, and when we change, when we are healed, some of those systems don't like it. There are relational structures, family cultures, and external fears, that, uh, fears from others that can actually prove to be a great obstacle to our own healing and our integration. It reminds me of my very cute eighth grade self. I had a friend at the end of my uh, eighth grade year say to me, you've changed and I'm not sure if I like it. <laughs> um, 
you know, we middle school girls say things like that from time to time. But the truth is, I remember distinctly feeling fear fill my body when she said that. Fear that I would lose her as a friend. Fear that others thought that too. Fear that it would change the friendship structure I had, not only with her, but with the group of friends we were in and my classmates of seven years. I was changing, at least I hope, but not everyone liked that and for different reasons. Change threatens systems and rhythms and dynamics, and if we're healthy and free, growth only propels us further into what we actually want with ourselves and with others. But if we're not, if they're not healthy and free, then we will feel threatened by and even turn and threaten others when we feel like change is happening. External resistance is a real obstacle when it comes to working out our salvation and not just to the eighth graders among us. External resistance looks a lot like limits of time and emotional energy. The resistance of the world around us, the schedule we keep and the rhythms we follow. It's powerful and it is often the most accessible obstacle and excuse for laying aside the work we need to do. And it's an obstacle to us actually moving forward in the kingdom of God. External obstacles are real. They are very much a real part of our dynamic. The question is, what will we do with them? Now, before I move on to all the good stuff, I want to mention one more thing that impacts the resistance we feel, both internally and externally. I'm particularly mad today, so I'm going to go after this one. He's mad at me too, so that's fine. In 1 Peter chapter 5, among other places, we read that we have a very real enemy who is, and in so many words, after us. And if you don't know that, he hates you. That's what the text basically says. And he wants you dead. Good morning. <laughs> he wants us dead. He wants us dead spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. There's a real war taking place. And the enemy is very much in the business of wanting to destroy all that we get to have in the kingdom. You see, he's jealous. His time is running out. And he is vile and ruthless, as we saw this week. My point is this. The resistance we feel is often a result of his work. That's where we target our anger and aggression and frustration is him and the work he's done. And acknowledging and understanding that you have an enemy on this journey is an important part of the journey you're going to take. Because it is he who will continue to say or influence or try to reiterate things like, it's easier to live out of your false identity than your true one. It's he that will tell you that the lies you're believing are a little true. Or that you've got time, you don't need to worry about it. Or those patterns of behavior aren't actually destructive. Or the things you're coping with might actually set you free this time. He is the one who wants you to believe the lies that have been spoken over you your entire life. And he is the one who in your brokenness keeps saying, yeah, it's true. Which is why Paul in our text is actually pleading for us to work out our salvation. He is saying, do it, and do it with fear and trembling, words that translate to seriousness and humility. Paul is saying, work out your salvation with seriousness and humility. Because what Paul is calling us to and them to is more than just a healing moment. 
He is calling us to remember that we are those who are worthy of love, delivered and saved. The call to work out our salvation is to also work out the resistance we feel, the brokenness we feel here, but also the brokenness we're experiencing from a real adversary. We are to work out the reality of our truest identity. That's the invitation of this text, so that when the enemy comes and schemes against you, you will be able to stand firm and walk and live in the truth. And I think we need to hear that more than we've ever needed to hear that. The resistance we experience is in many ways a mirror to what is broken in and around us. But it is also the place where we decide who and what will have the final word about who we are and how we live. Which is why it's important to acknowledge and name that it is real. That it is a very much a part of the journey that we're taking. Now when it comes to our journey, we actually get to choose what to do with the resistance we face, which is good news. And we get to choose that over and over again. If we're going to lean into transformation, into all that's on offer through Jesus, then I believe it's going to involve two things. Uh, The first, if you're taking notes, these are your only two notes. I'm so embarrassed. Uh, These are your two notes. It's going to start by first confronting not only the resistance we feel, but all that is behind the resistance we feel. And it's going to involve community. First, confrontation. Now, confrontation is an intense word, uh, but I'm here by myself uh, this weekend. All the big heavy hitters are out of town, so I'm kidding. That's not why I used it. Uh, I used it uh, because confrontation creates for us an image of facing something head on, something that is often oppositional to our good. And I think that what Paul is getting at here when he's addressing the work we're going to do and sorting out our truest identity, he is speaking as though it's going to be work, something that requires our effort, something that requires our attention, something that demands our participation, like in a confrontation. It demands us going eye to eye with the thing that is coming in opposition against us. And while that can seem daunting and sound daunting in many ways, I do want to say that working out and leaning into these spaces within us that are broken and still, need, still in need of healing doesn't actually equal a WWE fight. It's, some of you know what that is? I was trying to do it for the fellas in the room. I think it's dead. It's good to know. It's rarely a draw, uh, knockdown, drag out experience. Remember, we are working from our salvation, from a rescued place with the power of God behind us. We're not working for it, which means that when we confront the resistance, it will more likely be a subversive work, and it will look more like welcoming the resistance instead of fearing it. It will look like allowing ourselves to be present to it, not avoidant of it. It will mean doing the slow work of asking questions about our pain and about the brokenness we're experiencing. Things like, when have I felt this way before? And what is the pain underneath what I'm actually experiencing right now? And what is the truth? It will mean figuring out how to feel safe with God and with others. To create a space and place to hold those questions out and to wait for a response. This is a place that can be created with friends or a therapist or with your community. 
And this process, all of it, will lead to this moment where you regularly practice bringing all of that, all the external obstacles and resistance, all the internal resistance and conflict before God and into his presence, and you wait on him to speak and to heal and to confront and to set to right all that is out of alignment with the truth about who he has made you to be. It is work, but it's not a bloody fight. It is work because it is costly to confront the things that we are afraid of. It is work because it draws out of you a certain energy and reality that you don't very often face. But in the work is the presence of God with you, pouring out power so that you are able to do what's before you. Embracing the true self means confronting the real human process that comes with it and embracing the realities and the truth of your salvation, of what's on offer for you in the kingdom. It means doing the work of integrating your true self, trying to smush that in, trying to make space for the truth thing so that you can become and live more in line with who God's created to be. And while you smush that true self in there, all the other stuff has to come out. And that's the work that we're doing here. So we'll have to confront the resistance within and we'll have to do it with others. Paul's letter was to a group of people, a community, a church. In fact, the context of the letter is around how a community pursues the fullness of the gift of their salvation. And so he says, keep working that out together. When it comes to transformation, often, because we're culturally conditioned to in many ways, we turn inward. We do that belly button gazing thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you are doing it right now. You know, we really get focused in our healing on what's going on within us. And, and while that's certainly not bad, that's a good thing. We do need to know what's going on within us. The truth is that will only get us so far. We, by our very design, are at our best when we're living life in community with others. God, in his creation of us, built us to not only find love and friendship and intimacy in and with other human beings, but he also fashioned us in his kindness to find healing and wholeness and redemption and a new understanding of the depths of love we can experience through one another. Which means that if we're going to work out our salvation... If we're going to be able to embrace our true selves in every sense of the word and become who we were made to be, we will have to do it with others by our side. If our greatest wounds have come from our relationships, then it only makes sense that our greatest healing will come from them as well. Community is the catalyst. It is the launching pad for us to not only heal, but to embrace and see and experience who we were made to be. Have you ever um, been with a group of friends and noticed yourself in that setting? It's a weird exercise, but you all should do it. Some of you should really do it. Uh, you know, have you ever sat there and been like, listen to what you said or how you said a certain thing? Have you ever noticed where you felt conflicted as someone was talking or felt disappointed by what was happening in the group dynamic or noticed how surprised you felt by the depth of love and connectedness you experienced to these other people? Community has this ability to allow us to access and see and discover parts of ourselves and our design, the fullness of who we are when we're loved and seen that we cannot otherwise access alone. 
In community, we are challenged and confronted and activated and shaped. And we are also loved when we feel unlovable and are also cared for and fed and fought for by strange people who are oddly with us. We are forced to see others and to hold their stories and lives and complications and pain. And all of that helps us see the kingdom more fully and our place in it. Community will require the work of laying down things like fear and guilt and shame. Community is a vulnerable space to be. It will require the work of giving to people things you didn't have given to you. And it will eventually require that you lay down the projection of yourself that you've lived in or exist in for the purpose of being able to actually embrace what is true, to embrace who you are. And while that's costly, while community and living life with other people can be and feel like an exposing reality, it is worth it. It is what we need to become transformed and whole and healed people. Working out our salvation together reminds us that we are not quite there yet and at the same time calls us forward into all that is yet to be. The journey of of healing, of working out our salvation is a process that constantly reminds us of our great need for God and our great need for one another. It requires confronting our pain and our brokenness and doing it alongside other people, which is stuff you've heard before, and know that this kind of work isn't easy. But in this work, we find an extraordinary gift. You see, while healing or while the journey of healing is a forever this side of heaven reality for us and requires a lot of work and trust and faith, it is not without gain. Because when we heal, when we begin to move through the resistance, even in the smallest ways, when we experience the victory of the truth over the lies within us, we not only get to experience freedom and wholeness, we don't feel bound or tethered to those things that keep pulling at us and that have kept us bound for years. We also at the same time get to experience more of God. We get to know the withness of God and see how his love stretches further than we believed before. Healing is like cleaning out your closet. Roll with me. The more that goes out, the more that can go in. No. Look, 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 our former pastor is here and uh, I don't think he agrees with that statement, but... The imagery I want you to hold and remember at lunch is this. The more that goes out, there's room for other things to come in and for you to share those things with the world. So so here's the deal. The more that we move through the resistance, the more that we we move through and heal and and find pathways to wholeness to our true selves, the more we, we actually clear out a space for the presence of God to come, to fill up those spaces. And that inevitably makes its way into the world. Our healing, our working out of salvation doesn't just change us, but it changes others as well. It has impact. Yes, on you personally, 
but also in the lives of those around you. Henry Nouwen once said this about our healing journey. He said, nobody escapes being wounded. I appreciate his candor. We're all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be the source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Our healing, the work we do in pursuing all that Jesus has for us, is beautifully and miraculously designed to not just bring forth the realities of the kingdom for us, but to bring it into the lives of the people around us. Healing is a cycle. Healing produces more healing, and more more healing produces healing, and it just keeps going. As we are healed, we are able to be a conduit of that healing to others as well. And this is the gift we don't know how to ask for in the working out of our salvation. It's easy to think of a journey of healing as an insular reality, both personally and even for us collectively as a church community. But in it, in this journey, we find an invitation for the kingdom of God to actually expand, to grow exponentially and for us to take ground in the world. You know, we, we see these this reality playing out all over the place, but I can't help, I've just been really impacted by what took place this uh, past week in Uvalde. And I was reading an article uh, this week about the mothers of Sandy Hook who immediately made their way to Texas and reached out to the mothers of the children who were impacted by this. And I couldn't help but think this is what we were meant to do. As we work through our own healing, As we move through the resistance, sometimes into things that feel unbearable. On the other side, we find not only more of the presence of God and more of the kingdom of God, but we also find gifts to give to those around us. Our healing is multidimensional and it reaches places and people we could never imagine. Healing is never just for ourselves. Working out our salvation is this really radical cry from Paul that's more than just a polite sentiment at the end of a letter. It is him inviting us to live and experience the vitality and the life of the kingdom of God. It is a gift to know the reality of your salvation. And Paul is saying, dig in. It's Christmas morning. A few weeks ago, I was in Chicago. Um, I am in a program for spiritual formation. It's good that I do that. And I'm in that with Natalie and Gavin and Tammy and AJ. And in this program, we're required to do a quarterly silence and solitude retreat. So the beginning of every retreat we go to in Chicago, they basically slam us into silence and solitude immediately. It's almost like a cleansing bath. They're just like, get it off you. And that may sound wonderful to some of you. Uh, It's torture. Uh, actually. So uh, we were headed to Chicago and I knew I was headed into that. We like have dinner and this time alone and quietly to ourselves, which again is a painful journey that I'm on. So we, we, and then we move into a time of what we call the great silence. So we get really quiet. We don't speak to each other at all. And then we're quiet until the end of our retreat at the end of the next day. Is anyone feeling uncomfortable? Some of you are like, that sounds like a dream. I know, I know. Those people are in the room. Bless you. Um, 
And I, I remember being on the plane, and then we were trying to like ease into it. You know, we were like, we're going to ease into this now, so we can really get the fullness of the effect. And I remember um, not looking forward to it. I remember feeling waves of resistance wash over me on that plane. I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to do the formation thing, and it's good. And I do this, and I spend time alone with Jesus every day. And and yet I knew something was stirring. Now, there wasn't any gross sin I was worried about confessing to God or a particular burden I didn't know how to bring to Jesus. But I knew, this is why this was hard for me, that there was an invitation from the Spirit, uh, much like ones I have felt before in my healing journey. And that invitation was connected to internal brokenness that has just been kind of slowly moving its way to the surface during this series. What a gift. And the brokenness that lived in me was old, and it was connected to my trauma and my past. And I just, the truth is, I just didn't want to go after it. I had done it a thousand times. I had prayed about these lies a thousand times, and yet they were just brewing and alive in me. And still I was resisting. I was just like, I do not want to do that. Um, And before we entered into the great silence, and there we show up, and I'm like, we're doing it. And before we enter the great silence, um, in God's mercy, I heard a whisper, one that I've heard a thousand times before, particularly in seasons of deep healing, and it was this. The heart of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. The heart of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And this reminder moved me, and it reminded me once again of the promise that was lying ahead of me beyond my pain, beyond, what, beyond all the resistance, beyond all the noise and the static. In that moment, I was reminded that what I was about to look at and address uh, wasn't something that was like helpless and beyond repair. It wasn't either an, an exercise where I was just gonna be exploring my brokenness before God and being like, see, it's all bad. I knew because of the journey that I've been on for years and years, this journey that Paul speaks to of working out your salvation like kneading dough over and over again, that this invitation was more than just an exercise of faith. It was an invitation to know the healing and the power and the presence of God. I know these kind of invitations because it is the story of my life. They say all great preachers have a good story that they carry. That's a joke because you got it. Uh, but this is the story of my life. I have been healed and I am being healed. Every bit of what you see in me today, still wobbly and still very broken, but alive and hungry for Jesus, has been born out of following this invitation to more healing has been born out of my hunger to work out my salvation because the promise of his presence and his mercy and his grace and his healing is greater than the pain and resistance that stops me or pushes me back along the way. And while it's never easy and it is never comfortable, it is an invitation that keeps coming. At this point, I have learned that this invitation is not a means of correction or cleaning me up. It is an act of love and of grace. My favorite author, Anne Lamott, says, I do not at all understand the master of grace. 
only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Our invitation today is just that, to encounter and to lean into an act of love that refuses to leave us where it has found us, and to do this over and over and over again. I want to know that kind of love, and I want you to know that kind of love. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling.